0: My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good afternoon, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I apologize for the tech issues this morning. I still am not 100% sure what went wrong, but uh, find another way and move forward and that's one of the reasons that I typically will say, if the Lord wills, as we make plans and schedules. So just be aware of that, and that's fine. If you've got your Bibles, we're in uh, Mark chapter 9 again today. So grab your Bibles. I'm going to read the entirety of Mark chapter 9, and then we'll start with uh, really in the middle of verse 22 is where we left off last week. So we'll start back there. So Mark chapter 9, and he said to them, But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So hopefully you've got your copy of uh, the Bible and a copy of the handout. You can go to OurSundaySchool.com and uh, the center link at the bottom there will provide you with a a link to today's handout. So if you've got those, uh, we are ready to uh, get moving along in Mark chapter 9. So we... We covered uh, 14 through really the middle of 22 in the last two weeks. Today's handout is the same handout as the prior two weeks. It'll, uh, Lord willing, uh, be the same handout as next week as well. So we'll pick back up in uh, verse 22. But before we get to verse 22, I just want to remind us of the context around uh, this particular story. And it's, it's this passage occurs immediately after the disciples not understanding Jesus' teachings about his own resurrection, so just keep that in mind as to what Jesus is doing in this particular text. So, if we look down at verse twenty-two, so we've uh, Jesus has asked the Father how long has this particular uh, issue been going on, and the Father said at the end of verse twenty-one, from childhood, verse twenty-two, and it has often cast him into the fire, and we we talked about this this concept that. The, the demonic desires a future home where humans are brought into their future pain. Uh, that there is a, a pain associated with what, what Satan and his demons desire to do to the image of God. So it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, so I'm at the top of page 287 in your handout, but if you can do anything... Now, what a question to ask to Jesus, right? If you can do anything. And and the reality was, this is God who made everything, who literally wrote all of the laws of the universe in which this man has lived his entire existence. Every atom around him was a direct result of the creative power of Jesus Christ. If you can do anything. I mean, this is this is one of the most belittling, insulting questions. If you really knew who Jesus was, you kind of see how this is just like, oh my goodness, this is awful. We, we don't really have any sense of that that the man intended it this way, but this is the question that he asked. So, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Just so look at this word, compassion. This means to 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 feel sympathy or pity, to have to have your your bowels yearn is the old definition here and we would say if your if your heartstrings are pulled but you know that if you've ever felt emotionally pulled some towards someone it doesn't happen in your heart it happens in your gut and the Jews would say because your 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 gut is where the seat of your emotion is there so if you're if you have any compassion on us just have compassion um so I want, to, I want to show you where this word for compassion, this word for pity shows up in Mark's gospel. So the first time it shows up in Mark 1, 41. So this is the leper that comes to Jesus. And uh, in verse 41, it says, Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And the leopard asked him, If you will, you can make me clean. Right? So moved with pity. So Jesus has the compassion. The next is in six thirty-four. And this is when he's feeding the 5,000. So when he went ashore, Jesus, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. So the second time it's used in Mark's gospel, it's Jesus that has the compassion. Uh, Next time it shows up is in uh, chapter 8, verse 2. This is when he feeds the 4,000. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. So Mark's used this word three times so far in his gospel, all three times. It's a result of Jesus having compassion. No one else, no one else in Mark's gospel is mentioned as having compassion. And what the man asked, if you you can do anything, have compassion on us. Well, I'll give him this. He went to the one person who has a track record of compassion. And that is good. We're going to commend this man for that action. Because that is where we go when we need compassion. When we need someone to have pity on us, the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest source of compassion that we have. Right? God himself is compassionate to us. So have compassion on us. And not, not have compassion on my son. Have compassion on us together. Because when children have physical problems that result in pain in themselves this results in pain in the family and this man wanted compassion for them both which i think is a a a wise and thoughtful prayer so have compassion on us and and here's where he starts to get bold so i don't want you to miss this and help us this help is the aorist active imperative the imperative is a command so he is he is giving jesus a command to help us he's asking for compassion but he's commanding help but the help is the aorist tense. So this is the, the we don't have the aorist tense in English. the The closest to it is the essence of the word without regard to time. He he just wants it. He just wants it to occur. And the the vast majority of the time, a, a good right uh, uh, translation in English is a a one time only kind of present tense that works. That works really well for capturing the the thrust of what's going on. And the ESV does a great job here. Uh, have compassion on us and help us. This is this is just a one-time request. Okay, it's going to be important in a couple minutes. So into verse twenty-two, verse verse twenty-three, and Jesus said to him, "If you can." Now, in in Greek, there's just two words here. It's actually three words. So it's the uh, it's the uh, I'm sorry. It's the if the conjunctive participle. Um, Conjunctive particle uh, and then the the verb uh, dunami and in and the, the a, a Slightly more literal translation might be if possible like if possible <laughs> Because Jesus knew who he was right? He's the one person who ever walked on earth who was completely and utterly clear on who he was What he was about and what he was supposed to be doing at all times, right? so Somebody asking Jesus, if you can, of course he knew the answer to that. So he says, if possible, all things are possible or or capable. This is dunatus. This is an adjective uh, for one who believes. This word shows up elsewhere in Mark ten twenty seven. so beautiful. Uh, this is when the uh, rich young uh, man comes up to him and says... Uh, uh, and they were exceedingly astonished, and they said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. So this, these are his little breadcrumbs that Mark is leaving for us by his specific word choice, that the, the Holy Spirit is, is guiding Mark to just drop into the narrative very specific words that help us see that with God all things are possible. We're connecting this idea that Jesus is God. God is Jesus in the flesh, right? So all things are possible. This, this word shows up again in Mark 14, verses 35 and 36. This is in the, the prayer in the Garden at Gethsemane. So he tells his disciples to sit here to, while I, while I pray in verse 32. Uh, He took with him Peter, James, and John in 33, and he says to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Again, this connectedness of possibility associated with only God, right? So, all things are possible for the one who believes. Now, in that group, who had perfect faith? Well, Christ had perfect faith, right? We don't, we don't often think or talk about Jesus Christ's faith, but he was a man of faith. Uh, he faithfully executed every aspect of the Father's plan that the Father had for his Son, and he faithfully uh, educated and trained his disciples, he faithfully fill in the blank. Every aspect of his life was filled with faith, and he uh, was a man of belief. And this this uh, verb here is a present active participle. All things are the one, All things are possible for the one who has a lifestyle of belief, for the one who has a lifestyle of faith for the one who always believes, for the one who always has faith. Right? He's, he's separating a instantaneous pinprick of faith versus a perpetual lifestyle of faith. So all things are possible for the one who believes. In verse 24, immediately, Mark's favorite word, the father of the child. And, and here's the first time in Mark's gospel that we really get a glimpse into how old this child is. Uh, th- this is a broad word. Uh, Paidan uh, is, is a very broad word. It, it can mean anything from a young child to an infant to a half-grown boy or girl, uh, and then figuratively an immature Christian. So the, the question is, you know, how, how old is this child? Well, we know from the reading of the text, just a, a couple verses later, that uh, Jesus takes the boy by the hand, and he stands up. So we know it's not an infant, right? Infants don't stand up on their own. They don't stand up with assistance. They fall down. They're wobbly. Their legs don't work this way. This is not the way infants function. So this is some type of a young child, perhaps a toddler, perhaps uh, up to 10, 11, 12 years old even, but uh, a young child. So the father of the child cried out, and this is... This is a shriek. This is a scream almost. And uh, I would encourage you to go and to look at the uh, the verses here uh, elsewhere in Mark's Gospel. Uh, 3.11, 5.5, 5.7, uh, 10.47, 10.48, 15.13, 15.14. Uh, I'll, I'll look at 15.13 and 15.14 because I just want you to get a sense of the the volume that is typically associated with this. This is... Uh, Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified in verse 13. And they, this is the chief priests, this is the crowd that chief priests have stirred up. They cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted out all the more, crucify him. This, this is not a, oh yeah, help me a little. No, no, no. no. This is a, almost a scream, if you will. Uh, it's the same type of a scream that the demons use earlier in Mark when they see Jesus approaching and they get panicked about what's he going to do? How's he going to engage with us? Because they knew who he was. So the father of the child cried out and said. Now this is an imperfect tense, which means this was repeatedly occurring. It's not something he said one time. This something he said multiple times. I believe, help my unbelief. So Jesus had just finished saying, "Whoever believes, all things are possible." And the father's going to like that. That's me. That's me. I-, I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. I, I believe. I-, I believe. I I believe. I believe. I mean, this is a this is a a broken-hearted father who has watched his son for years be engaged with demonic activity that has physically injured the child repeatedly. So the father says, I believe. And this is a present active indicative. So that the, I love the, the Greek tenses because they give us a glimpse into what the speaker actually believed. So the speaker wouldn't have used the indicative if the speaker didn't believe this. The father believed that he believed. <laughs> he, was, he was confident in his own belief. So He thought he was authentically believing. So just, just make sure we keep that in mind. So I believe, and then he starts to get bold here. This is, this is a I I think, the most bold statement that the Father makes, this, this particular word, help. This is a present active imperative. This is not the aorist imperative, the, the one time. This is a present active imperative. This is a repeated command To be obeyed. So the the earlier the context of the earlier was help us one time, just help us. And then when Jesus starts talking about faith and belief, then the Father says, "Help my belief. Keep helping my belief. Never stop helping my belief." Is we have we have now entered. A very, very spiritual conversation. This is different than what we were talking about a couple of minutes ago. Because if he just wanted him to heal his son, he wouldn't have said this in a present active imperative. It'd have been another heirist. But this was an ongoing command to God. <laughs> like think about think about the boldness of this, right? The the idea that you're going to tell God something that He is bound to continue to obey forever. <laughs> Hopefully, we're not in the habit of talking to God this way. I believe, help my unbelief. Help my uh, the the word for unbelief is apostia. Uh, the a at the beginning means the opposite of whatever is coming next and. Uh, Pistia is a variation of pistuo, which is the word for belief. Help my not believing. Help my faithlessness. And then verse 25 starts off with this really strange little phrase. And I've had a couple of you uh, message me asking me what in the world is going on here. And I'm just going to tell you, I have no idea what's going on here. It makes very little sense to me. Uh, so verse 25, and when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, so this was the trigger for him to act in the very next uh, section here. He rebuked the unclean spirit, and he had a habit of doing this. This was something that Jesus was uh, regularly doing. In Mark one twenty-five, the first time this word shows up, uh, One twenty-five is Jesus rebuked him, this unclean spirit, Spirit in mark 3:12 uh, he strictly ordered them uh, these uh, these uh, unclean spirits not to make him known in mark 429 uh, sorry 439 I was going to say we're 429 is square in the middle of the parable of the seed growing I thought nope that's not the right spot. Four thirty-nine, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. So the first three times this word is used, one demon, a group of demons, the wind and the sea. Like Jesus was in the habit of putting what was out of place back in its place, and he did that with this word. It's a it's a beautiful word to to censure or to admonish, to to restrict, if you will. So he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying. Now, here, here's one of the reasons that that I believe that it took a minute for this to actually finish, because if you read the text just straight through, uh, you'll notice that this this didn't immediately occur, and because Jesus said it multiple times, he uh, rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, "This is the present active participle. This is repeatedly to it, this unclean spirit, you mute, and there was something's added here. It's very interesting, and deaf." And this is new in the Markian narrative. This is not. This doesn't exist anywhere in the story so far that the that the child is deaf. So either Jesus knew what the father hadn't described because Jesus knows all things, and just decided to declare this here, and wanted to be comprehensive and thorough, and is addressing this particular spirit, or we only have a part of the conversation, and I. I'll tell you, I think both are true because if you read Matthew's account and Luke's account, there's several other things that are going on in this particular scene. And we'll reference those, uh, Lord willing, next week. Lord willing at 9.07 in the morning. Uh, but you mute and deaf spirit. Now, Jesus had already dealt with deafness back in Mark 7, what is it, 32, where he had healed the deaf man. Remember, he... Puts his fingers in his ears and the, just the oddity of the, the visual there. So, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him. So, this word for command is to arrange, uh, epistasso. Um, uh, Jesus was in the habit of doing this back in Mark one twenty seven they going to Mark chapter 1 a lot because there's a lot of similarities between Mark 1 and Mark 9 here. Mark 1, 27, they were all amazed that they questioned themselves. What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Yeah, we've gotten to the point in the, the narrative where this is normal behavior for Jesus, right? This is, this is another, well, he's doing it again. Okay, right? I mean, this is nothing new at this point. He's, we're just on, we're repeating and repeating and repeating. The scene changes, the, the surroundings change, the number of demons change, the demons that afflict different parts change, the interchanges the inter- uh, with the uh, people around him change, but his power and his authority and his ability to command all of his creation does not change. And I think it's a beautiful thing that Mark is doing, showing us that the setting and the scene and the characters and the order can all adjust. And they will adjust all of our lives. But the thing that remains constant is Jesus Christ's ability to command all things. Abraham Kuyper has a beautiful quote. I'm going to mess it up just a little bit. He says, There's not one square inch of all of creation over which God does not declare mine. And, and that demonic influence in this child's life was under the sovereign authority of Jesus Christ as well. So when Jesus says, I command you, come out of him. This is an active imperative. This is, uh, this is a command. <laughs> come out of him. Now, that's what the father asked for. Remember back the first help, that Arist help, that one-time help? That's what the father asked for. And then Jesus does something even more and never enter him again. You see, if you remember a couple of minutes ago and last week, we had talked about how the demons wanted to bring the image of God into their future pain. And what Jesus desires to do is to bring the image of God into his future peace. Now, I'm not a Baptist preacher, I'm not about alliteration, but that one was too easy, I couldn't pass it up. There we go, alright. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure I like it yet, Margie, but we're going to keep trying, so there we go. The, um, so th- this is a beautiful illustration of the Father asks for this, and Jesus delivers more. And I don't know if you got to watch um, Dr. Sandy Zinson's sermon this morning from the 8.30 service at the Chattanooga campus at Stewart Heights Baptist Church. But there is a beautiful, beautiful reminder of when you get Jesus, what else do you get um you know one of the one of the amazing things is that the Bible uh sprinkles God's benefits and blessings all throughout, and there's not really just one definitive list of when you become a Christian, when you become a son of God or a daughter of God here's the full list of benefits. You kind of have to look around in a lot of different places to see what's going on. But it was a beautiful list this morning, Dr. Zinzen. I thank you for for sharing that. It was a great thing. So Jesus has just commanded this uh, demon to come out of him and never enter him again. He's got to go find something else to do. Verse 26, And after crying out, and convulsing him terribly. This shows up in one twenty-six as well. This this idea of convulsing with epilepsy, uh, and this this word terribly is just the Greek word pulos. It's it's the the word for much or many. Um, convulsing him much is is really probably a, a better way to say this. Uh, it came out. <laughs> uh, the the I, I love the Jesus commanded it. It happened. Uh, It reminds me of the very first chapter of Genesis where God uh, gets us used to his word being obeyed. And we see in the first chapter of Genesis, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And uh, just over and over and over. In verse 9, and it was so. In verse 11, and it was so. And it was so, and it was so, and it was so. Because God's word will be obeyed. And one of the things that Mark is doing by showing us when Jesus says it's going to happen and then it happens, he's drawing us the picture of this is what happens when God speaks. This happens. Things occur. So convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like or as if a corpse. And now you're thinking, oh my, like, well, well, the demon's gone, but he killed the kid. Like, this is, like, oh my goodness, this is awful, right? I mean, this is, this is bad. So that most of them said, them being the people around, remember, because there's a crowd here, they all just keep running up, and the father's part of this crowd, and he saw all this uh, commotion and calamity, and so most of them said, he is dead, and that's an indicative. They truly believed it they thought that he was dead from their logical view from what they could see this was a dead boy laying on the ground verse 27 but jesus you yeah. know you if if you think the boy is dead and the boy has no hope you've ignored the chess set <laughs> because the pieces are arranged such that The king is still on the board, and the king is still active, and the king is still working, and the king is not done. But Jesus took him by the hand. Now this word took is krateo. This is that seizing. This is not a, if anybody ever makes a movie about this, and they have Jesus like very gently leaning over and like, oh, here we go. No, that is not what this word means. This word means got that boy, <laughs> grabbed him up and took him by the hand. He physically engaged because this was going to be something that the disciples needed to see their rabbi do. And he did it on many occasions, physically engaging, physically engaging with the one who was unclean, physically engaging with the one who was uh, crippled, physically engaging with the one who was blind, physically engaging with the one who was deaf, physically engaging with the one here who sure looked like he was dead. And all of these were things that good rabbis didn't do. (laughs) Jesus didn't come to be a good rabbi, let me tell you. (laughs) Seized him by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. This word for lifted means to waken, means to rouse from sleep, from sitting, or lying, from disease, from death, to rouse from obscurity, inactivity, ruins, or non-existence. I do not know if he was dead or not. All I know at the end is that he was up and alive. And this is one of those beautiful things that that we can we can get wallowed down into the question of, well, did he die or did he not? He's alive, and Jesus has just, by waiting to do the miracle until the boy was on the ground looking like he was dead, given his disciples a visual of what he had just finished talking to them about in the prior section and what he's about to talk to them about in the next section. Because all of this is to demonstrate who Jesus is and what he is about to do. This is not some random act of kindness. And if if you adhere to the concept of random act of kindness, I say, fine, that's great. But that is not how our God operates. Our God is not sitting in heaven, detached and looking down and going, I think I'll be kind today. No, no. That's not how our God engages. Everything our God does is a purpose and with order to show us a pattern of who He is and how He engages and how much different He is than us and how much trust we can put in Him no matter what the scene, no matter who the players are, no matter how any of this is going, He is the one who faithfully executes his will. And if it were up to us, we would mess it up. And it is for those that don't believe in Jesus Christ, that haven't repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, mess it up, right? That's why Jesus came to be the substitute for us to take our sin, so that we could then engage God as we were designed to in a future peace as opposed to a future pain. So all of that to say the story is part of a larger story that Jesus is teaching the disciples, is part of a larger story of Jesus' life on earth, is part of the story of who God is and how he engages with us so that his glory is known, not so that our glory is known. So, with that, we will uh, stop there this week, and Lord willing, start back. Uh, Lord willing, uh, start back at uh, Mark nine twenty-eight next week. And uh, I would encourage you that if you are interested in learning more about our Sunday school, you can do so at OurSundaySchool.com. dot You can subscribe to our weekly email, our podcast, our uh, uh, YouTube channel. Uh, if you're interested in being a member of our Sunday school, you can go to the About Us tab, and uh, I would encourage you at some point today. Perhaps you already have. Perhaps you will again. Uh, engage with a group of believers uh, with a group of believers, either in person or online, uh, to worship the King who is still actively moving and working, and uh, is not done yet. So. Uh, with that, I uh, love you guys, miss you guys, hope to see you soon, and uh, Lord willing, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at com.